So sometimes for a variety of reasons, you think about some of the bigger picture things in life and you look at where life is right now and you begin to project out maybe weeks ahead, months ahead, maybe years and decades ahead of where maybe you, you think like, you know, it'd be really amazing if this happened. And I think we all probably have some of those moments, but actually most of the time we don't have those moments and we don't have those because they get drowned out. The kind of look ahead to where we'd like to be gets drowned out by the immediate things staring us right in the face. So sometimes, and maybe you are in this position today where you have a decision you got to make and that's what has your attention right now. Or maybe there's a, a tension that needs to be resolved or a door that you'd really like to see open or a relationship. And it's gotten so complicated, you don't really know what to do with it right now. Or maybe you have a situation that you're dealing with or maybe you're helping to deal with or you have clarity that you really hope you can get sometime before too long or you have a problem and that problem is so pressing that it needs a solution. And sometimes the immediate things are so pressing, they're so big, they're so all-consuming that we really can't even imagine God doing bigger things in our lives. We can't imagine him showing himself strong and good and wise in dozens of places in our lives because we're just so focused on this one thing that seems to have our attention. But then when we hear a verse like this one, I think it's meant to stir something in our hearts. I hope it does for you. So Ephesians 3 says this. Now to him who is able to, to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, all that we could ask. And, and so that's saying like, I never even thought about asking God for that. I never even thought about praying about that. He's able to do that. All that we could ask or imagine, all that we could ask or think all that you could envision. You go, I, I never would have envisioned that. He's able to do that. If I had a goal, if I had a goal in mind for today's time in God's word, it would be this. All right, that wherever you are right now, which is going to be a lot of different places for the people watching this, all of us are going to be in different places, that wherever you are, you would take at least one step, at least one step down the path of confidence that God can do above and beyond what you could ever ask or think. That's my goal, and yet I can't, I can't like turn on the light switch for you. I can't do that for you. God's going to have to do that. And I'm not talking about above and beyond like selfish and greedy sort of way. I, I'm, I'm thinking of something that God would do that could last for eternity in your life. So we have been in the series the story of Joseph, which is not a straight line. And as the chapters unfold, the chapters that we're going to look at are really, they, they take a turn here. Can I, can I do this? I normally don't do this, but can I pull you into the, the preaching weeds, the sermon weeds here for a, a second? There are a couple different dilemmas I feel as I'm preaching today. 
One dilemma, I would say, is the hour and a half dilemma to which you immediately go, oh no, what could that be? That doesn't sound good. So this is the dilemma. The next three to four chapters in Genesis pretty much tell one story and the tensions kind of rise and, and are released. And I think the message that I want to preach is an hour and a half message. But I feel like there's way too much. So good news for you, we're going to divide it up over the course of a few weeks. Take a deep breath. It's going to be fine. I promise. But it does mean, here's the dilemma, it does mean you're going to get some like to-be-continued moments. And you may walk away going, That's, that was kind of strange. It, it felt like he didn't finish. It felt like it left us hanging. I kept waiting for the main point. And so apologies to my preaching professors, apologies to you. I think this is the best way, but I guess we'll see, all right? So that's one dilemma. Another dilemma that I see as we're like really trying to live in the story of Joseph is what I'd call the immediately practical dilemma. So there are places that in scripture that say things like pray always. Well, we know what we're supposed to do with that. Or be kind to each other. We know what to do with that. And or stand firm, like this means we should do that. And all that's pretty easy to process. But there are other places where you go in scripture. I think these chapters are going to be some of those where you actually have to look and you have to draw conclusions. You have to observe. You have to find connections. You have to like let, let the Bible do its work of changing your heart and changing your viewpoint on some things. You have to see a bigger picture, like where it's going and appreciate the details. And so, like, what you would take away isn't immediately practical. I mean, I, I guess we could try to squeeze this into a conflict management seminar, but I think that's going to shortchange the story of Joseph. And so, I just, I don't want to overgeneralize and just kind of have one big point, like just trust God more or something like that. I, I want us to live in the details of this story, but actually I'm going to have to ask you to do some work in thinking and connecting and processing. So, here we are going to the story of Joseph where God is about to do work in some of the most dramatic ways in all of scripture. We've been tracking Joseph's in Egypt. He's risen to power. He's actually pretty much second in command in all of Egypt, right behind the king, Pharaoh. But the whole region is in crisis when we pick up Genesis 42, where we will be today because of a famine. And all the world needs the help of Egypt because only in Egypt is there a food supply. In the first words of chapter 42, the location changes though. We're not in Egypt in chapter 42. We go back to Canaan land and we go back and even the characters change. We're back to Jacob, Joseph's dad and his brothers as well. Look at Genesis chapter 42 and verse 1. So it says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin Joseph's brothers with Joseph's brother with his brothers for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Jacob's got a problem. The brothers have a problem. Here's the, here's the presenting problem. They need food. 
but there's so much under the surface going on. A couple of things when you begin reading in chapter 42, a couple of things haven't changed. They're pretty easy to see. First of all, what hasn't changed, Jacob's relationship with his sons is still not good. So did you notice how the, how the verses open? Jacob looks at his sons and says, why do you keep looking at each other? Those aren't terms of endearment. He's talking to grown men, and this isn't a kind expression of fatherly care. Jacob, I think, is revealing his frustration, maybe even his bitterness towards them, and maybe they deserve it. I don't know, but Jacob is saying, why do you keep looking at each other? If we're going to survive, you got to do something, guys. You're grown men. Help the family out. Jacob's relationship with his sons, still not good. And related to that, Jacob is still playing favorites. Did you notice that? So he says, Benjamin, you'll stay here. Ten of you go, Benjamin's staying here. Sounds so messed up to say, but remember, remember Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel? Yeah, she had two sons. One was Joseph. And then she died giving birth to Benjamin. We're two decades removed from when Jacob lost Joseph. And he still is saying, Benjamin... I'm not letting him out of my sight. So I work through the story, not just on the surface. The surface is they got food issues. We got to get food or we're going to die. Below the surface, I have questions. These 10 other sons, did they ever get stuck on the fact that their dad really never wanted to marry their mom? That can't be a great dynamic to grow up in. Did some of the other sons believe that if Rachel had not struggled with infertility, they might never have been born? Did that reality hit them? Do they have to deal with some of the resentment their dad had toward the whole family situation? Does that trickle down? What do they do with that? I wonder how many times did Joseph's name come up in a month, in a year? How many times did Jacob bring that up? Because it's never far from his mind. And what does Jacob really think about each day he wakes up? Does he think, you know, if only my father-in-law on that night had just given me Rachel instead of Leah, we would not have had to deal with this. Does he think, if only I had just kept Joseph home that day and not sent him to go check on the brothers, if only, if only. I mean, you have a few of those and it works on you for a long, long time. Does Jacob wake up every day saying, nothing's happening to Benjamin, not on my watch? And is that really a good place for Benjamin to be in? Benjamin never asked for that. Do you see, again, I mean, we got a presenting issue. They got food problems. Let's go get food. But there's so much more going on in this story. A couple decades in and nothing's getting better, is it? Nothing's getting simpler. Nothing's changing for the good. Deep down, it looks like this family is in such pain and in such crisis, and nobody is doing anything about it. It reminds me that this is the world we often live in. It's one thing to read these from the pages of Scripture. It's another thing to recognize that people all over our area, maybe those watching today, 
are trying to move forward with their life with some deep, deep scars, and they've never dealt with it. They've never really come to terms with it. And maybe they're finding many ways to numb it and try to think about other things. So, I mean, you can keep surfing the internet. You could keep looking at this and looking at that and like let that consume your time. Or you can try to numb it through just paying attention to the latest sensational news story and you keep scrolling and this thing happened, that thing happened. Or maybe you get a hobby and it's all consuming because you just don't want to deal with that. You're going to focus attention on this. Or maybe it gets a little bit more scary. You get some sort of addiction and it starts like sinking its claws into your life and you tell yourself just one more, just one more day. I promise I I can control it. I can say no and it doesn't happen. I wonder, I wonder if deep down there's a lot of pain and maybe even you, maybe you're just trying to make it through. And you really don't have a lot of hope. Or maybe you're in a crisis and you're just not sure how it's going to go. I have no magic wand to wave today. But I do think there's hope. I do think there is a really healthy way. And this story may, may give you that healthy way to process some things in the past. I, I do think this story can help you appreciate that God can start right here changing you into the person he wants you to be. Into the person you know you need to be. I do think this story can help you appreciate that your days, however many more days you have on this earth, can be given towards something that will far outlast the time you live here. I do believe there's hope. So again, the big goal for me is that you would take at least one step down the path of confidence that God can do above and beyond all that you could ask or think. I don't want you to have a cheap imitation of that confidence, like some knockoff thing you could pick up on Amazon. I want you to have real, real confidence. And for that, that isn't going to come easy. You're going to have to have, like, walk with Joseph on these twists and turns. So let's dive in further. Look at verse 6 in Genesis 42. Genesis 42, verse 6. It says, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And now Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. He said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, no, 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 Lord. We're, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. They said, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of, of of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father. One is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. And by this, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place until, unless your youngest brother comes here. So send one of you, let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you for else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spies. And they put them all together in custody for three days. 
I think you can get a little glimpse into the, the heart of Jacob and the brothers, but I think you can also get a glimpse into the heart of Joseph. The story invites you, like, look at things from his lens. He'd moved on with his life, sure. He's number two in Egypt, sure. His life is as comfortable as anybody else's could be in Egypt at that time. But two decades later, this had to be an event that surely shook him. You probably had one of those. Probably had one of those in your life, that call, that letter, that email, that conversation that just like changed things on a dime. His brothers roll in, 10 of his brothers, and he recognizes them. And it says he remembered the dreams. What dreams? He remembered the dream that he had of them bowing down to him. It all comes back to him. What does Joseph do with that? What would you do with that? I I, I know Joseph had to come to terms with God's work in in his life for his good. And we're going to unpack that as these chapters develop. But right now, let's just think the brothers are in front of him. He's face to face with them. What is he going to do with them? And there are a couple different paths he could go down, right? One path would be, so let's just think about this. One path would be the immediately reveal. Like that would be one path. Uh, why doesn't he take that? I, the, the Bible doesn't say, but I, I'm guessing that he wants, to, he wants to see where they are. He wants to find out more. If I'm Joseph, it's a little too emotionally risky to open the doors of the past. I'm Joseph's smart guy. He's thoughtful. He runs the country. He has like a high degree of intelligence, but also I think he even has a high degree of an emotional intelligence. He's got to think through some things. He's wanting to form a plan. So he doesn't walk down the immediately, hey guys, I'm Joseph. He doesn't go down that path. But there's another path he doesn't go down either. And that path would be like give him food or tell him, sorry, you can't buy food, go home and get them out ASAP. He doesn't go down that path either. Why doesn't he? I don't know. I mean, is he, is he hopeful that there's more? Because he actually is going to go down a messier route. It'd been, it'd been easier for Joseph to just say, you know what, guys, sorry, we can't help you. Just go home. Or here's your food, and I hope I never see you again. Instead, he chooses a path that's going to take twists and turns over the next couple of chapters. He engages he engages, first he makes an accusation, you're spies. I know why you're here, you're spies. But, but then he gives an option for relief. Okay, we can work this thing out. You got to, one goes, the rest of you stay, bring the brother back, and then we'll be fine. And then, then he temporarily imprisons them. He puts them in, cu- in custody for three days. Let's keep reading on verse 18. Verse 18, it says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, then it reverses here. It's not just like one goes, but no, let one of your brothers remain confined while you're in custody. And the rest of you go and carry grain for the famine of your households. You bring back your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified. You shall not die. And so they did so. Gives a new option of relief. Like, okay, All of you can go, but one's going to have to stay. And then we overhear a conversation, and this conversation is the one that changes things. Then they said to one another, listen to these brothers talk. In truth, we're guilty concerning our brother. 
and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we didn't listen. Like, you reap what you sow. I mean, this is what happens. This is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered him, I, didn't, I tell you, I, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? You didn't listen. And now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. And Joseph turned away from them and wept. They reveal what's going on in the inside of their heart. They're talking to each other and Reuben speaks up. We're dealing with this because of that. And Joseph becomes emotional. I mean, it's not hard to understand why. I, I would imagine he's replayed that day where he got thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. He's had to replay that day. I talk about PTSD. I mean, he's had to replay that over and over and over again. And he probably never thought he would hear his brothers say, this is happening to us. Bad things are happening to us because we heard him cry out. He probably never envisioned this happening. It says, and he returned to them and spoke after like having to turn because he got so emotional. He did take Simeon from them and he bound them before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders. Notice what he does. He gives orders to fill their bags with grain and to give back the money of each man in his own sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Again, we're not told all the reasons, the motivations for Joseph doing this, but he, he does initiate in some ways a test of honesty. So he's going to send them back with money, money that's really not theirs. I wonder if he's like getting at the heart. Are my brothers still all about money? They sold me? Are they just like, we'll take whatever money and leave the brother Simeon for dead? Is that who they still are? There also has to be some measure of hope that it could work. He might see Benjamin. He might see his dad again. It says in verse 26, Then they loaded their donkeys with grain and they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And this isn't like, oh, we won the lottery. This is, oh, no. Like they're going to think we stole it. It says... The one who found the money first, he said to his brothers, my money has been put back here. It's in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another. And notice what they say. What is this that God has done to us? Their words here are telling, what is God doing to us? They already knew they were in some ways kind of on probation with this rough person in Egypt. They knew this isn't going well. They knew like they want to be above board with everything they can. They know this is risky. And now it's like, well, God's found us. He has our number, our life. Our life is not good. The brothers here are at this crisis moment. But I want you to recognize we are going to keep working our way through this chapter. But I want you to realize that at crisis moments like this where the brothers are saying, what is God doing? No one really wants those moments. No one really asks for those moments. And it may be painful and it may really challenge your ability to, to control things. So I mean, we know this, right? I don't, need, I don't know who's watching. You... 
you may have like this relationship with God that seems very, very distant, and yet you see things coming into play. And maybe someone encouraged you to watch today. And your brain and maybe your emotions are all over the place. And you find yourself kind of in the, the situation with the brothers going like, what is happening? And you find it super hard to deal with it right now. God does some of his best work when he sets these good things in motion. Even when they're hard for us to deal with in the moment. Make no mistake, God may be doing this great thing in your life that you never saw coming. And it may be, you say, Curtis, there's no crisis moment for me right now. But I would say maybe you have people all around you Maybe you, maybe you just have one that you know they are going through it. They're, they're wrestling with the hard questions. And God has strategically placed you in their life. Maybe for you to speak up. Maybe for you to listen up. Maybe for you to walk with them through these things. In some ways, we end kind of there with, okay, the brothers are going back. They've discovered the sack with money in it. And, and you realize like, this story, it, it seems like things are going to have to get worse before they get better. You think like Joseph, he's got to be so unsettled. I can't imagine he goes to sleep that well that night. The brothers are terrified. They're dealing with they're dealing with like the exposure and the intensified guilt of like now all this that happened 20 years ago has come back to haunt us. No path forward immediately. I mean, do they see? Surely not. Jacob is going to have to deal with more pain, old wounds being reopened. So there are places in the story where you stop and you go like, and that seems all really unsatisfying. Maybe for today, that's where it needs to be. It dawned on me, as I was talking to a friend at lunch, and I won't violate any confidence, but he was telling me of some awful news that his family had gotten. And it's kind of the news that, like, I'm not sure it's ever going to work out. As his family's just kind of been blown apart. And, and as we sat there at lunch, and I heard him process the hurt and the pain, it's like, yeah, there's, that may not, indeed may not work out. And, and we get up from lunch and we go our separate ways because that is the way life works sometimes. And maybe that's what it feels like it's going on in your life. It's cursed. I don't see, I don't see a path of resolution today. We focused a lot on the characters, talked a lot about Jacob, Joseph, the brothers. But make no mistake, God's hand is in this story. God is orchestrating the events that Joseph will end up getting him, like getting close to Pharaoh. How does that happen? God did that. God gave dreams. God gave, orchestrated an international famine to bring these kind of moments to bear. God resets Egypt's chain of command, puts Joseph right there so he will intersect with his brothers. I mean, this is what God does. God does work in this situation from every angle in this story. It's above and beyond all that Joseph, all that Jacob, all that the brothers could ask or imagine. Do you believe that God can work 
in your situation. Can I leave you with just the prime reason you can have hope today? As you like turn the service off in just a moment, here's the prime reason. Yes, if God can work in the life of Joseph, Jacob, and these brothers, then he can work in your situation. But that's not the prime reason. There's something better than that. And that is that in the deepest, darkest day, the day where Jesus Christ was unjustly hung, he was hung on a cross for sin, for my sin, for our sin. On that day, God was doing more than we could ask or imagine. On that day, Jesus was atoning for our sin completely. On that day, he was satisfying the righteous wrath of God against all the sin that devastates the world he made. On that day, he was reconciling us to God, bringing us to him. On that day, he was forgiving us. He was canceling the record of wrongs that stood against us with all those legal demands. On that day, he was destroying the works of the devil. On that day, he was undoing the power of sin. On that day, he was making all things new and restoring all things, including our relationship with the God who loves us so much. I will say this, if God could do all of that through the horrendous death of Jesus, he can do above and beyond beyond all that we could ask or think. So is your heart ready? Is your heart ready today to take at least one step down the path of confidence in this God who can do these things? Can I pray? Father, I thank you for each individual that you created a divine appointment for them to watch today. You created the circumstances. You brought the snow. You orchestrated the exact reason for them watching today. And where there seems to be a lot of hopelessness, may you do something in hearts where we begin to go, maybe, just maybe, I can take that step of confidence that God could do more than I could even pray about, more than I could even envision. So we come to you asking, knowing that you are a faithful God, and the only thing we can say about your faithfulness is it is great. So Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Draw us to confidence in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.